Hey everyone, uh, my name is Tony. If we haven't met, it's awesome to be with you this morning. Welcome to my home, my basement. We're in a series called Rooted. And we're exploring what does it look like to remain rooted in God in this season. Right? During the storms of life, when a, when a storm picks up, Right, what happens is, right, it blows on the top of the tree, right, and if the tree doesn't have deep enough roots, right, it gets knocked over. So the tree helps, or the roots help a tree to stay rooted in the ground, right? But the, the roots also help a tree to get nutrients up into the tree so that it can grow, right? So roots help, roots help with both growth and stability, right? So it is our sort of driving metaphor in this series. Now, before we get into content, I want to share a story. So right before sheltering in place, at the end of February, my daughter had a birthday. It was a skating party, a roller skating party. And uh, we had like reserved a little birthday space. So this was uh, a little bit, maybe like 50, 75 feet from the actual rink. And there was this tiny little ramp uh, that went from the birthday space down towards the, the skating rink. Now, I put on my skates uh, in the birthday spot and I decided I would skate over to the rink. And just as I'm starting to go down this ramp, my feet just flip under from under me. And I am literally horizontal, you know, four feet off the ground and I land so hard. Right? I, like the wind's knocked out of me. I swear I'm like checking my elbow to see if it's broken. My wife, Jeannie, runs over to me to see if I'm okay. I'm clearly not okay. But in that moment, right, rather than saying, oh, I need help, rather than saying, yeah, my elbow hurts or I'm really hurting, I didn't want people to huddle around me. I didn't want to make a scene, right? So I just say, I'm fine. I'm okay. And like with every ounce of energy in me, I try and like crawl, walk, skate to the rink and pretend like I'm okay. Now, I share this story because as a pastor, it's my experience that most people, when they're asked, right, how are you doing? We just say, fine, I'm good, right? Whether we're great and life is joyful and full of celebration or we're struggling and lonely and depressed and anxious, our reply is the same. I'm fine, right? Like me in pain on the ground, we just say, I'm fine, right? We don't want to draw attention to ourselves, and we're not even sure how to articulate often how we are doing, right? And this becomes especially important as we enter the month of May, and we're sheltering in place, right? And we've been now at it for over two months. Now, I don't want to presume right now that everyone is struggling emotionally. I actually don't think that's true, but let's be clear, right? Honest communication isn't just about hard stuff. We did a, our group, our well community, uh, did a, f a few weeks on marriage where we talked about it. And Alicia, who's a part of our church, she's a uh, MFT, a therapist, right? She was leading our time. And she talked about this concept of withholds. Now, a withhold, she explained, is like, you know, let's say I make dinner. And I think it's pretty good, and Jeannie thinks it's really good too, but the kids are scrambling around, so then she forgets to say, oh, that was really good. Right? She withholds it, not even intentionally, but that's a good thing, right? Or let's say uh, Jeannie's doing an awesome job with homeschooling, which she is, 
But I don't say, man, Jeannie, you're doing awesome. I just withhold it because I'm busy. I have all kinds of things on my mind. I'm tired or whatever. I withhold that sense of gratefulness or thankfulness. Right? I can just not communicate. Right? And in so doing, right, I withhold. Right? We do this with God all the time. Right? God brings awesome gifts to us. And we withhold that space, right? that, that expression of gratefulness, that expression of thanksgiving, right? when he supports us and is with us. Right? We don't turn back and thank the giver of that good gift. So honest communication, right, in both the good and the hard times is an important part of relational connection. Not surprisingly, it is also intimately connected with how we stay rooted in relationship with God. Right? We see this in the scriptures. Think about the Garden of Eden. Right? God creates Adam and Eve, and the text says they are naked and unashamed. Right? They're with each other. They're vulnerable. They're open with God and with one another. But then, right, they go their own way. They choose their own path. They eat of the forbidden fruit. And what happens? The first thing they do, they hide. This is how Genesis records it. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife, right, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The first thing, right, that Adam and Eve do when they actually need God the most is they hide. They stop communicating. Right, the text tells us that the first impulse of the human heart in a world that is full of brokenness and sin is to hide. And what we see in the rest of the scriptures is an encouragement, an invitation from God to us towards honest communication. What we see is that remaining rooted in God is intimately, intricately connected, dependent upon honest communication. Whether life is awesome or awful, the biblical model is that we remain connected and communicating with God, no matter what. Ellen Davis, in Getting Involved with God, says it well when she writes, We cannot have an intimate relationship with someone to whom we cannot speak honestly. That is someone to whom we can show our ugly side, those large clay feet of ours. Recently, this last week, I spoke with someone in our church who explained that over the last few weeks, right, she has just had a really hard time getting in touch with what was going on for her, right? Life's been crazy, homeschool, shelter in place, work, juggling so much, right? And then she had the opportunity to actually get in her car, drive down to the beach, and just talk to God for a moment, right? And as she did, she started talking. It all just kind of came bubbling up, and she heard herself yelling in the car, I need you, but I am mad at you now, God. When we talked on the phone, she was a bit nervous. She's like, uh, is that okay? I totally just yelled at God. Right? She explained, like, in this season, she just needs God so much. Right? Like we all do. But she also found herself pushing God away. She told me she felt like a, a five-year-old girl, right, who doesn't like what mommy has said. So she sort of crosses her arms and turns away. 
What I found so powerful about her story is when she talked about it, she explained that while she was angry at God and kind of even almost yelling, she also talked about how she sensed and felt God's presence surrounding her as she cried. She said it was like this, like the hug that I so desperately needed in my anger and grief. I could feel God telling me, I know, I'm here. Right in the midst of her angry outburst, her honest communication with God, what was God doing? Right, he was just present with her. Right, like a father, he was kind to her. Joseph T. Bailey, in A View from a Hearse, he has this, uh, he writes about his experience of grief. I believe it's his three sons have all passed away. I'm going to read a longer quote of his because I think it really captures something really powerful about this process. This is what he writes. I was sitting, torn by grief. Someone came and talked to me of God's dealings, of why it happened, of hope beyond the grave. He talked constantly. He said things I knew were true. I was unmoved, except to wish he would go away. He finally did. Another came and sat beside me. He didn't talk. He didn't ask leading questions. He just sat beside me for an hour or more, listened when I said something, answered briefly, prayed simply, left. I was moved. I was comforted. I hated to see him go. When I read this paragraph, I immediately thought of my friend's experience in the car, at the beach, angry, and how God had just pulled up next to her in the car and was just quiet and kind with her. Right, God didn't tell her in that moment, stuff your emotions and put on a smile, pretend like everything is okay. He just sat with her in the car, by the beach, whatever was going on. See, honest communication with God isn't simply reserved for praise reports, right? It's for every season, the good, the tough, the celebrative, right? The season of mourning, right? And this is clearly demonstrated in the book of Psalms, which is the collection of Hebrew prayers in the Bible, right? It's the Hebrew prayer book. These are the songs and the prayers that Jesus and Paul and most of the New Testament writers would have known from an early age. This is how they learned how to pray. Let me take a second, think about it. If you were to collect uh, all the prayers you could, right, over the last hundred years or more, and put them all in a binder and say, hey guys, this is, I want to teach you how to pray, pray these prayers. Right? What prayers would you pick? Right, I thought about it, I was like, I'd probably pick just like a lot of happy praise reports. People singing about how good God was. So I had a lot of uplifting, a lot of hallelujahs and praise be to God. But when you look at the book, of Psalms called the Psalter, right? The Hebrew book of prayer in the Bible. This isn't what you find. Historically, what we see is the Psalms are collected uh, over a fairly large period of time. We know there's prayers from David, who's the second king of Israel. That's in about 1000 BC. And there's prayers presumably after exile, right? So exile happens at about 600 BC. Uh, so Psalm 137 is one of the examples uh, that most scholars point to as like, this seems like post-exile. It's 
about people right, being drugged out of their homeland, praying and talking to God about this process. Right? That's a 400-year period, if that timeline is correct. So the Psalms are collected over this time period. These are times of great flourishing, great joy, and also times of great struggle, great pain, and great hardship. Right? These are the prayers that God chooses to give to us in the scriptures that we might learn how to pray. But the thing is, right, they're not all happy and joyful. Walter Brueggemann, in the message of the Psalms, makes the case, right, there are three major types of Psalms in the Psalter. One, right, there's uh, Psalms of orientation, is what he calls them. These are Psalms that are good times, when life is great and awesome and predictable and reliable. There's Psalms of disorientation. These are Psalms when life feels awful, life feels unpredictable, life feels hard and like a struggle. And then Psalms of new orientation, when you've endured that awful season and you've come to the other side, right? Then you've developed a new orientation on life. Now, I want to look at each of these because I think that will give us a little more robust picture of what prayer and honest communication is like. So the Psalms of orientation, right? They remind us to pray when life is good. These prayers reflect... Uh, life, right? When life is good and reliable and predictable and life-giving. These psalms uh, reflect a profound trust in the goodness of God, gratitude to God. Said simply, what they do is they reflect a sense of protected space. The person who is praying feels like safe, feels like life is reliable. So you get a lot of psalms like this. This is Psalm 135, 1 through 3. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Give praise, O servants of the Lord, who stand in the house of the Lord and the courts of the Lord our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. All right, it's life is good. We're going to praise God, and it's awesome. But as we know, right, not all of life is lived from this posture. Sometimes we go from good times to really tough times. Brueggemann calls these psalms of disorientation. Right, when we're thrown off, when life is hard. And these psalms remind us to pray when life is hard. Right, they teach us to talk to God even when what we have to say is not kind or nice, when we're mad or angry or afraid. These psalms teach us to keep talking. Right, the book of Job is a model here. Right? Job complains, he doubts, he's angry, and yet he keeps talking to God throughout the whole book. He stays connected with God through the trial. Same here with the Psalms of Disorientation, or called Psalms of Lament. The psalmist in Psalm 44, uh, verses 23, uh, accuses God of falling asleep on the job. He writes, Awake! Why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. God, I'm struggling here and you're not helping me. Wake up! You can kind of feel the exasperation, maybe even some anger or frustration in the psalmist. Psalm 88 ends with this line, My companion, my companions have become darkness. Right? The psalmist doesn't get to the other side. It doesn't end with happy hallelujah. It ends with my companions are darkness. Right? They teach us to talk to God. Psalm 88 teaches us to talk to God even when we don't feel hopeful, even when we haven't turned the corner. Now, these psalms can be personal 
or communal. A personal one would be like Psalm 13:1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Lord, it can be from the perspective of community. Oh Lord, why do you cast us off forever? Right, in both the personal and the communal laments, the people of God cry out to God in the midst of their struggles. Right? Life is not all good. Right? And the Psalms tell us to be honest with God, even when it's not all good. Right? And often the thing is, right, life turns around. We go from the pit and then we turn the corner and we experience the, the rescue, the deliverance, the peace, the presence, the hope of Jesus on the other side of the trial or even in the middle of it. Brueggemann calls these psalms, psalms of new orientation. Right? And they remind us to pray when life is better, right? When, when life is bad and tough, right? And when life is better. They remind us, right, that new life can come out of the darkest of situations. They tell us to hope in God even when hope felt far away, right? Because God can show up in the darkest times, bringing us to a place of thanksgiving and gratefulness. I like Psalm 41 through 3. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me. He heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog. He set my feet on the rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Right? And you see it in this psalm. Right? He's in the pit of destruction. He, he can't stand. He's going to fall over. And what does God do? He rescues him. He puts him onto solid ground. Now he has a sure foundation. And then he has a new song of God's rescue of him personally. A communal example would be 124 verses 1 through 6. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side when people rose up against us, when they would have swallowed us up alive, when their anger was kindled against us, then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord. Right? The Israel is in this place of being flooded and drowned and attacked. And what does God do? He rescues them. Right? They're under real threat and God comes and saves them. Right? In both the communal and the personal, the one praying, sees God come to the rescue, and they develop a new orientation, a new perspective, a new hope, because God showed up in the place of struggle and brought them hope. And those are three types of psalms that really reflect this really broad sense of prayer in the Hebrew Bible, right? in the Hebrew book of psalms, in the Psalter. And what I want to talk about now is then how this relates to us in our everyday life, right? If, if, it, if honest communication, right, is part of what it means to be rooted in God, how do we take this, our knowledge of the Psalms and the Scriptures, and then we apply it into our life in the shadow of COVID-19 as we shelter in place? The first thing I want to say is the Scriptures are abundantly clear, 
right? They encourage us. The scriptures encourage us to seek God in the good times and the hard times and every time in between. Often at Wellspring, we use a model called a centered versus bounded set, right? Bounded set is you're either in or you're out, right? And often we think of our life with God in these terms, especially during the hard times, right? So when life is good and awesome and we're full of joy, we feel like we're in. But then when we're lonely, depressed and anxious and fearful and struggling, we feel like we're out. We feel like, oh, God doesn't want to be with me. You know, you're angry in your car at the beach. God doesn't want to be with me. We think actually a more faithful biblical model is called centered set, where Jesus is in the middle, right? And we're all over the place. Some of us are closer. Some of us are farther away. And the question is not whether we're in or out. The question is, are you moving closer? Are you moving farther away? Or are you just kind of stuck where you are? Right? And the encouragement of the scriptures is to say, hey, no matter where you're at in this process, to move closer to the person of Jesus. And what that requires is honest communication, honest conversation. The second thing I want to say, I think the way this translates into our everyday life, right, is the scriptures tell us that we need to be honest with ourselves. That being honest with God probably starts with us being honest with ourselves. Which begs the question, right, how are you doing today? I know for me that sometimes when I, life gets busy, I lose touch with what is going on inside of me. And when I'm in that spot, I couldn't have an honest conversation with God even if I wanted to. Right? Because I am not aware of what's going on with me, so I cannot really be honest and talk with God about what is true and real in my life. And I've realized uh, over the last number of years is I need to like, take some time by myself in order to figure out what's going on. I go for a walk. I sit in quiet. I sit in the scriptures just for a while and helps me to get a sense of, all right, where, how am I doing? But the truth is, it's taken me a long time to learn that. I remember when I was in college, uh, I was uh, the RA of Boswell dorm and I was on the second floor and Sarah, who was my intervarsity staff worker, she came up to talk to me and we were just talking and in the conversation, we got to this point where we were talking about sort of spiritual formation. What does it look like to grow and be honest with God? And she said to me, you know, Tony, one thing I've observed about you is you basically have two emotions. You're either generally happy or you're mad. And there's very little nuance there. And as I reflected, I realized like she's probably right. Like there actually were other emotions going on for me. Sadness, grief, happiness, whatever, all kinds of cobbled together, but I just wasn't aware of them. Peter Schizero, in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, talks about how actually our life with God and our emotional life is like an iceberg, right? And if you look at an iceberg, you're familiar with icebergs, right? Only 10% of an iceberg is, ab is above the surface. 90% is below the surface. And he says, our life with God is like this. And I think this was my experience, right, when I was in college, is I was aware of the 10% above the surface, Right? But I was totally unaware of the 90%. And over the last 20 years, like, I've learned to figure out, okay, what's going on under the surface? 
You feel like you're aware of what's going on under the surface for you today in the shadow of COVID-19? A few months ago, right, in our well community, as I said earlier, right, we were talking about marriage. And one of the things we learned, right, one of the things we talked about is this idea of taking ownership, right? Because in marriage and in relationships, if you're not married, right, in relationships, you get this. Uh, it's easy to blame other people, right? They're selfish or greedy or mean or whatever versus own how you're feeling, sad, hurt, whatever. And what we realized in that time is that some of us actually weren't very good at even figuring out, like, what do I feel? And Alicia, who was leading the time, had this tool for us, and she gave it to us, and it's this, you'll see it, there's a link below for it. But this tool you can click on, it's just an emotion wheel. So you can have a sense of, oh, these are core emotions, and these are different emotions that come off of it. But I encourage you to take a look at it. Some of us in the group found it quite helpful, and maybe you will too. Right, because my experience is, if you've never learned how to identify your emotions, it's actually kind of daunting to know, and this tool is actually quite helpful. Maybe take a look at it this week. Maybe before you pray, take a look at it. Get a sense of, where am I this morning? Right? But in a biblical model, the point isn't simply to get in touch with ourselves. The point is to take whatever, wherever is true of us today and bring it into the presence of God, to have honest conversation. Right? Which brings me to point three. The Psalms and the Scriptures encourage us to keep honestly communicating with God wherever we're at in the journey, whether we're close or far, no matter where we are in this process, no matter how we feel, right? To engage with God by talking honestly with Him, right? Because knowing what's under the surface isn't really enough, according to the Scriptures, right? It's about bringing all of who we are into the presence of God. So when you feel awesome, right, do you do you bring that back to God as a posture and a posture of thankfulness and gratefulness? When you're in a place of struggle, loneliness, anxiety, depression, do you bring that into God's presence as well? For me, I often find when I'm doing well, I'm so excited that I sort of focus on the tasks or the fun, and sometimes I forget to go back to God and say, God, thank you so much. And when I'm struggling, Sometimes I don't want to go into God's presence because going into God's presence means I have to own whatever is true of me. My anger, my grief, my sadness, my loneliness. But this is the thing. Whenever I do bring all of who I am into the presence of God, I experience His kindness and His grace and His healing. Much like my friend in her car by the beach as she yelled at God, when I bring all of who I am into the presence of God, God shows up and His grace is so, so obvious to me. All right, so practically, right, then how do we remain rooted? How do we sink our roots deep, right, so that we can stay connected to God through honest conversation? I have a couple of really practical things this week you can try. One, I would encourage you, Write your own psalm. Write your own prayer. And just do it in the simplest kind of day-to-day -day way that we might write a letter. Right? Start with, dear God, to God. Right? Something, address God at the beginning. Second, share what's going on for you. I feel, I am, whatever that is. Sad, lonely, happy, excited, whatever. Just write a few sentences sharing how you're doing. And then, right? 
take a moment and say, either ask God for something. God, I feel lonely. Be my comfort. Or if you're grateful, say, God, I feel happy. Thank you so much for whatever it is. And then lastly, end with something about that is true about God. Right? So, God, I feel lonely. Come near me, please, because I know you are faithful. That's a simple prayer, but it's getting at honest communication. It's about declaring who God is in honesty and in truth. Try it out this week. Write a few psalms. Write a few prayers to God. Or another thing I've done uh, and often do is I just read through the psalms. But rather than reading just to figure out the historical content or what's really going on contextually, try and just pay attention to what is the psalmist going through? Read from a posture of empathy. Try and get a sense of what emotions are, is the psalmist expressing. And as you read and notice their emotions and what they're going through, then from your posture, see if you resonate at all. And then allow that to be the springboard of your prayer. Right? So you're reading through Psalm 42 and you're talking about, you know, hope in God, my soul. Why are you struggling within me? Why are you in turmoil within me? Maybe that becomes then the launch pad for your prayer. Oh, I want to hope in God. And then you start praying about hope and how you want to hope in him even though you're struggling. Or if it's a time of praise, right? You're sitting through the last few, uh, reading through the last few uh, psalms in the Psalter, right? They're all about praise, praising God. Take that as your launch pad and just launch into prayer and praise for God. But use the emotions of the psalm to be the springboard of your prayer. And lastly, three, right? If you've done one and two uh, and you want something else, I would encourage you, right, to uh, actually use the incongruity sometimes between what you experience in the psalm reading it and your own experience. For instance, this last week I was reading Psalm 140. This is how it reads. Deliver me, O Lord, from evil men. Preserve me from violent men who plan an plan evil things in their heart and stir up wars continually. The truth is, right, like I am not afraid of violent men at this moment. I'm not afraid of a war at this moment. But I also know there are people in the world right now who are victims of violence. I know people right now who are afraid of violence in their life. I know people right now are trapped in war zones, right? And I use this incongruity between their experience and mine to actually be the springboard of intercession, of praying for them, right? Because honest conversation doesn't just have to be about me. It can be on behalf of others, right? If you recall in the book of Exodus, the people, the people of Israel are constantly stretched and complaining. They're having a hard time. And what does Moses do? He prays to God on their behalf. He prays on their behalf. He isn't struggling as much as they are, but he prays for them to God. For me, one of the things I've been really praying for is, uh, you know, one of the things I look out, like where we live, or at least where I live in Pacific Grove, like this is a pretty amazing place to shelter in place. It's not always easy, but it's like, as far as sheltering in place goes, we have the ocean, like this is gorgeous. 
And I've thought a lot about folks in slum communities that I have visited in the world. Specifically, I think of Kenya, or I think of Brazil and the favelas, and you have these super densely packed people groups. Right? So in Kenya, you might have 10 people living in a 12 by 12 house. You might not have any access to running water or healthcare. Like imagine COVID-19 landing and spreading there. How could they shelter in place? How could they wash their hands effectively? I mean, it's just so overwhelming. So from that place, right, I start praying for people that God would show up for them in powerful ways. As we come to a close this morning, Wellspring, I just want to say to you, you can be honest with God. That in fact, honesty with God is how one of the key ways that we were made rooted, connected to Him. Whether we're in a good time, a tough time, or on the other side, having gotten to a better time, having endured. How are you doing today? I encourage you to bring all of who you are into God's presence. That He might meet you and root you into Him and His presence and His goodness today. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to give you 60 seconds just to marinate. What is God's invitation to you this week? God, I pray that you would show up in powerful ways this week. God, I pray that you would create safety for all of us that we might be able to enter your presence and enjoy your bounty. And God, when we're struggling, I pray that you would give us the freedom to be vulnerable in your, in your presence. God, wherever we're at in the journey, speak to us that we might draw near to you. Whether we are happy or sad, joyful or mourning, struggling or rocking it. God, be with us. Speak to us now. Amen.